Welcome to the 35th episode of The World of Running. I'm your host, Aditi Pandya. Have you observed your thoughts on a tough workout day or even on a race day? As runners, a tough workout or a bad session at the track or when we miss training puts us in a colossal situation or even worse if we DNF on a race day where the rest of our family and friends should be given a signboard to not come close to us. Running is a beautiful sport and we all runners swear by how it helps us. But we sometimes take it too seriously, overly obsessed with paces, getting stressed by upcoming races, irregular sleep cycles to accommodate the early morning workouts, constant barrage of injuries and more. What once was supposed to get us fit healthy and was enjoyable becomes quite the opposite. In this episode, we talk to Tina Moore about how to run sustainably, how to enjoy running and make it a lifelong sport, get the best of running personally and socially, and how can we sustain the environment around us. Before we go any further in today's episode, I have a request for all our listeners. If you like our podcast, please subscribe to it. Also, do share with other fellow runners who are yet to discover us. You can share a recording of your favorite episode and we will play in our next episode. Share a 30-second audio message. You can share your audio message at connect at geeksonfeet.com If you would like to reach us or even sponsor a podcast episode, write to us at connect at geeksonfeet.com and you can also subscribe to our newsletter and not miss any updates by registering at geeksonfeet.com Tina Moore is the founder and CEO of Running For Real host of the award-winning podcast with the same name and co-host of Running Realized she is a mother of two and a former elite runner sustainability advocate. An ardent environmentalist, she has worked with the United Nations as well as many races in the running industry, including New York and Chicago marathons on their sustainability initiatives. Through her podcast and social media presence, she starts conversations and shares resources on sustainability, climate change, and how individuals can make a positive difference in their own lives. Her book, Becoming a Sustainable Runner, co-written with Zoe Rom, merges runners' passion for their sport with their concern for their health, community and environment. Tina is the first elite athlete to openly discuss having amenorrhea. Tina has become an advocate for others suffering from reds. Hi, Tina. How are you? And thank you for accepting our invite for today's podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm uh, excited to talk to you today. So I have to tell you that uh, when I actually spoke to you uh, for this invite, I felt it was so comfortable talking to you <laughs> and, and just connecting with you. And, um, you know, I was reading your book and uh, I feel that, that somewhere um, uh, it resonates with me and I'm sure it will be resonating with each and every uh, runner and non-runner of, of our today's episode, right? So thank you for joining. Yeah, I appreciate that. And um, yeah, I uh, 
I, I think I think it sometimes catches people off guard when I'm very uh, casual and talk to everyone the same way I would talk to you know my very best friends. But I think there's so much uh, as as I'm sure we're going to talk about. There's so much out there that is not real, and it makes us feel not good enough. So. Um, I love to to find ways to make people feel comfortable because then you get a more enjoyable conversation on both sides. <laughs> yeah. So um, you remember the last time we spoke, you were going to be in New York and mm. I even mentioned you briefly that Arvind will be there. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and uh, post, which, uh, post which we actually did some analysis of the data of New York Marathon and we found out that there were more than 3,500 runners who were uh, above the age of 60 who ran mm. the New York Marathon and um, um, it is so inspiring right yeah, to see absolutely. that um, people endure and want to take this as a lifelong sport so I want to start by asking you that what makes running so compelling that runners continue to train for marathons even in their later years right I love hearing that and that is is definitely a number I think I will use telling people in future now you've done that so thank you for that research because I think that is is absolutely inspiring as you said Um, and actually during the pandemic, my mum, she hasn't run a marathon, but my mum did take up running and she's never run before, but she's had a, a running daughter. Um, and so she really showed herself and I got to watch it in person of someone uh, who is over the age of 60 taking up running for the first time um, and just seeing the impact that it had on her. Uh, and I think a lot of that kind of is is what comes to mind in, in the question that you're asking there in that in the past, we'd always been told once you get to those, you know, later years of your life or once, you know, you start going through the physical decline of, of age 40, which is crazy. We think about it. Um, you should be starting to do gentle activities and things that are um, very simple, but also be careful with yourself. And I love hearing that so many runners went out there and did the New York City Marathon and probably do other things. And I'd be willing to bet those people are healthier in every way. Um, and so I think it's a it's a it's a drive thing. You've got running has to be something you do for yourself, but it's also something where it helps people on their journey of discovery within themselves mentally and emotionally too. So um I think a lot of it is that is is that challenge of seeing who you are. So I agree that your mom took up uh, running considering she saw a running and an active daughter mm-hmm. and the same applies at my place because um, I hail from a from a smaller town and uh, every year I go there for a half marathon and last year my mother ran to a 10k and uh, uh, you know this year again she's participating and the way she asks me as to how to train herself it's just so fulfilling it's just infectious right the, yes. the goodness will just spread so I want to move on and as runners sometimes we are highly demanding right and Mm. uh, you also mentioned in your book about long-term growth as opposed to immediate results and Mm -hmm. when I was going through this uh, when I was reading this I remembered that I mentioned to a friend of mine after a race uh, that was a race which was luckily a good race of mine and I told my friend that it was a lucky day and I did great and then there was another day when I DNF'd I just bait myself up 
through the, that week, right? And now I feel that uh, looking back that I should be more forgiving and I should just cherish the moments that I can, uh, that I I am able to run and I love running, right? So what are your thoughts on this, that we have such contrasting behavior just by this one bad or good thing in our life? And uh, being a runner, uh, how can we be more um, sustaining in the longer period, right? Mm-hmm. I want to start by acknowledging that, of course, we feel this way with, you know, a race goes well and we say, oh, yeah, everything just worked out for me today. I just had a good day. Um, we disregard all the training or the hours that we've done and say that it was, as you said, just luck. And then other times when it doesn't go well, you think, oh, why did I, what was wrong with me? Why couldn't I get together? I should have done this. I should have done that. But of course we think that way when we live in a world uh, where we feel we have to get everything right. As I mentioned at the very beginning, we look on our social media and all we see is people in their own version winning all the time or being successful or achieving uh and we you know expect perfection of ourselves for that reason also what we're seeing through ads we might see or tv shows we might watch um and so whereas we used to live in uh, you know you mentioned being from um a small town small village um we used to be in a place where we only would compare to the people that lived around us, but now we can compare with everyone in the world. So it's not surprising that we do that to ourselves. Um, However, for, I would imagine, almost everyone listening, myself included, we are doing this because we enjoy it, because we get something out of it. And taking that approach of each race we do has to be the best we can be it has to be all everything lines up otherwise we're not satisfied uh it's gonna suck all the joy out of out of doing what we're doing and for something that we're doing for ourselves or in theory doing it for ourselves so I really believe in a long-term approach being that yeah if you have a goal you can go get that goal absolutely but putting a time restraint on it of it has to be today or it has to be my next race is only going to add pressure and take away that enjoyment. So I much prefer the viewpoint of, you know, the 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 journey of your running as a whole is the is the part to be celebrating. And there's going to be ups, there's going to be downs, there's going to be moments of doubt, there's going to be moments you surprise yourself. Uh, but it's all part of that journey along the way. And and that is the where the celebration should happen, not just at the finish. So I, I completely resonate with what you spoke. And it should be just the joy of just waking up every morning and doing what you love, right? That's mm-hmm. success for me. So Fatina, again, I'm referring to your book. And you, you emphasized on uh, finding your why, quotes. You know, running evolves over years, right? It mm-hmm. it evolves, right? For me, it was just to get fit when when I uh when I began uh, in my you know early days of corporate life, and now, mm-hmm. um, running is basically a life for me. Uh, I want to ask you as to why is it important for everyone to know their why behind what they are doing in this particular um, episode, it is running and build an intrin- intrinsic motivation. 
Yeah, very much ties to what I was just referring to in the previous question. And that is that we, if we are so focused on, you said there about intrinsic motivation, but in extrinsic motivation, where we're just focused on outside results, we're just focused on what it looks like to other people. Um, again, it is so easy for you to lose all the joy or the meaning from your running because sometimes you might be the most physically fit you've ever been in your life. You might be ready for a huge breakthrough, but the weather is not cooperating or um, something goes wrong. Your shoelace come unt comes untied, you don't notice, you trip. Um, and so putting so much on the way the outcome is is really dangerous in many ways and 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 will leave you feeling very down and unhappy a lot more than it leaves you feeling good um so finding your why is your distinct reason of what gets you up in the morning and a a good way to look at this is is what for what reason do you would you get up at 5 a.m in the morning to go run or squeeze in a run on your lunch break what is the reason that 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 is driving you. And it may be the case where it is something that is extrinsic currently. Like it might be, well, I ate a lot yesterday and I'm a bit nervous about that. And maybe you have to dig a little bit deeper to see what else could come of your running. What else does it give you? And you could say, well, you know, I like that it, I like that I feel accomplished when I finish. That could be another why for you. But it may start out as something aesthetic or the way that we look and may develop into something greater or deeper and sometimes might go the other way. You might be uh, really doing this for your health and feeling good about yourself and you might get caught up in, in results at some point. So for me, I've gone through periods when I was an elite runner of it all being about finish lines um, and challenging myself whereas now I would say that it allows me to um, continue a practice that helps me evolve and become the best version of myself and um, allowing myself to discover new parts of myself so I like getting outdoors to be able to do that surrounded by nature which is something very important to me um, but that why is different to when it was uh, when I was an elite athlete Surely. And I, I totally agree because both uh, being an elite athlete versus now being a, a lifelong runner requires a different mindset altogether. So I I, I can I can empathize uh, with both the thoughts. Right. And um, um, as you mentioned uh, earlier, right, about social media. Right. So considering that there were days when I didn't know what was happening in the world to now, I know at every second what's happening right with with this uh with this increasing media presence also there is a constant comparison right like if you see um and myself included tina i i have to tell you that there was a time when i went off the social media right mm. and then i realized that if i'm off social media i'm not able to do a lot of things that my work wants me to do right yeah. so in this constant comparison and being zen mode how can we find a middle path in terms of whether it is your mileage or or pacing or fitness goals and be be detached so to say mm -hmm. from the comparisons 
is my question. Yeah, I actually just finished a book um, called Stolen Focus by Johan Hari, um, and I really recommend it. It was, um, and he talked a lot about how, you know, we're very much touted with, as with a lot of things, this messaging of it's all on you, that we beat ourselves up for, oh, just spent more time on social media or I was just comparing this and that. And why did I do that? Why did I pick up my phone when I could have read a book or I could have done something productive or could have just relaxed? Um, And he talked about how every moment of the day we are going against a thousand of the smartest minds in the world who are trying to get us to pick up our phone because they know that the more time we pick up our phone and we compare and what we see has been tailored to us and what our weaknesses are that will keep us on our phone. And so uh, once again, I would say that, of course, we end up comparing ourselves uh, when we pick up our phone and we see these um, other things that people are doing. And sometimes that can be motivating where you say, oh, I really don't want to get out for my run today. But you see someone else got out there and you think, oh, okay, I can do that. I can do that. And it gets you out the door. Um, But as you mentioned, particularly when it comes to pace and mileage and as you're going through your fitness journey, it can be very detrimental to to especially see people's easy run paces, which they, you know, maybe running faster than maybe they were slower than you. And now they're running faster than you on those easy days to look at that number and think, oh, well, I'd better speed up. But the reality is we don't know what that other person is doing and we don't know where their journey is headed. So even if they are running faster than they used to, it could mean that they have a big injury just around the corner or you could have a big injury just around the corner if you push your pace that little bit faster because you are have been trusting your body and going the speed that feels right and that little bit faster just could be enough to push it into an injury. Um, and it's difficult to to not look at those things. Um, I tend to minimize my time on the the training apps because I again want to just focus on what I'm doing and what my body is doing. Um, while I do wear a GPS watch, I don't look at it. I have none of the settings on um, that show me how fast I'm running during my runs because I feel. I want to get better and better at trusting what my body feels like. And if that means slower than what I should, quote unquote, should be doing, that's fine. Um, I do have, a, however, trip up on, um, on you know, the other social media outlets sometimes when I see what others are doing. Um, but in those moments, I try to remind myself that where I am spending maybe less time training or where running is less of a priority to me is it than it was to other people, that means I probably gained something. And for me, that's maybe deepening my relationships or uh, maybe that's doing another hobby that is more important to me. Or maybe for me, that's time with my kids that that other person doesn't have. So I like to talk to myself with compassion um, when I do have those thoughts arise, because again, I think we're going against very smart people um and it's not quite as simple as just don't look at your phone yeah so compassion is the key here right you need to learn how to prioritize as you said so tina um uh, while reading your book um and i quote 
what you wrote there is that many people feel that they need to be hard on themselves to obtain certain outcomes, right? And uh, this has become a mainstream idea theme, right? That we have to let go of a lot of things to achieve success or we have mm -hmm. to burn the midnight oil, so to mm -hmm. say. And, and it does resonate with me, right? That hard work and long hours and, and, and sacrifices will let me be where I want to go. And I'm sure a lot of people or say 99% of our listeners will resonate with this of being hard to themselves. Mm -hmm. So how can we detach these thoughts and bring a more accepting and, and as you mentioned earlier, compassionate um, to a, a, be more compassionate to our present situations? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I feel like I'm kind of... Uh this is definitely my uh, direction today but I think w once again we are told by you know a lot of it comes from generations before us um, but also just in a lot of messaging that we see that no pain no gain you got to hustle if you want something you got to work hard and I have been very, very into that messaging for many years. And actually, I'm trying to detach myself from that messaging um, because that has been so ingrained in me and something that I have always identified with of like, I'm going to outwork everyone. Or if I'm not spending all my time being productive, then what am I doing? It's, you know, I don't want to be lazy. Um, and so I used that a lot of the time to get things done. And I, I'll admit that I, and maybe some of your listeners will resonate with this, I thrived. I loved it when people said to me, wow, you get more done in a day than I do in a week or whatever it would be, like encouraging that hustle, that push, that, um, you know, go, go, go. you got to keep, keep pushing forward kind of mentality. Um, but what I noticed was, a, I was then really focused on, as we talked about earlier, the outcomes of, well, I'm doing all this, where's my success? And almost expecting things to come together for me because I worked hard. Um, B, I found that I was exhausted all the time because I wasn't, I was sacrificing sleep in order to um, get more done. I was talking to people I love about things that I had achieved and it very much got to a point where they'd say good for you <laughs> because for them it wasn't it, the people that mattered most it wasn't they didn't love me because of what I achieved or how hard I pushed myself they loved me for who I was and actually in many ways it took away from who I was because um, I the real me couldn't come out because she felt like she had to always be pushing harder and trying to do more um, and I've really realized as I've been stepping back, getting more sleep, focused on rest, saying no to things um, and being OK with um, telling myself it's all right to to take it easy or it's OK if you don't achieve this right now. I've really felt a lot of relief and peace in myself and joy in these activities that I wouldn't have had otherwise. Um, and I encourage your listeners to just give it a try, like take one afternoon where you do just rest or you do let yourself sleep in and see how that feels. And it might be uncomfortable at first. Um, but I've really found that being gentle with myself through that compassionate language we talked about earlier, 
as well as recognizing that um, sometimes we get more done by not forcing our way through and actually taking the rest and doing it when we're rejuvenated than we would just go, go, go all the time. Yeah. So you slow down to get, get better. Yeah. Basically, yeah. You, 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 you just hibernate for some time before you resurface. And yes. that's a very good uh, I'd point. say I'm working on it because like, yeah. even for me, it's, it's hard to do. Um, I, we, I struggle with it just as much as everyone else. And that's why Zoe and I chose the word becoming in the title of our book is because we are not at the end. This is not me on my top of the mountain saying you should do this. <laughs> I'm working on it w with everyone else. So, yeah. Sure. So, Tina, um, I want to even talk about the sustainable training that you emphasize in your book, right? And um, uh, could you share... A, a personal experience with running related injury and how how they influenced your approach to training or recovery um could you share your personal experience with running related injuries and how they would have uh, influenced your approach towards training and recovery yeah i actually have a very recent example i'm just coming out the other side i can't say for sure that i'm out the other side um of the worst injury i've ever had um, and that was very enlightening for me, uh, especially as I went through many years of running very high mileage for as an elite athlete and had very few injuries and now running less than half what I used to, I ended up getting injured with a bad injury. Um, and during that time, surprise, surprise, what I was trying to do a few months ago was, um, think I could do it all. I, w I was releasing a book. I was um, taking care of my family. I was traveling a lot and I still thought I could squeeze in all this running on top of it. And, you know, at the end of the day, stress is stress. Our bodies can only handle so much regardless of where that stress is coming from. And it caught up to me and I knew I was walking a line. I knew that I was at risk, but I thought, as we all do, yeah, I'll be fine. And that won't happen for me. <laughs> and it did. Um, and so I had to shift my training towards recovery and rehab. I had to let go of running in a way that I didn't know how long it was going to take me um, to get to where I could run a good amount again. Uh, and for me, the injury that I had is one that often ends in surgery, if you're not careful, as in surgery where they um detach your achilles from your foot um oh shave some bone down and reattach it so a very very nasty surgery that i did not want and so it forced me for the first time in my life to really focus on the recovery and the rest and come to peace with it and it was not easy to do that um but once again i wanted to think do I want to be A, having a surgery? No. B, being at a point where we talked to the beginning about older runners, I want to be someone who is in my 60s and doing the New York City Marathon. And if I just pretend that's not there or I 
if we when we have pains and we have things that we know deep down in our hearts are not okay and we push through them it is going to come back to get us later in life and i'm sure while we've all seen the inspiring older runners we've also seen some uh or maybe um some older runners who um did run too much and push through injuries when they were younger and now can barely move i do not want to be one of those people so that kept me in check to say i will back off i will rest i will focus on strengthening my achilles so that i can get through the other side of this and while it was difficult I'm really glad that I took that time. Um, And so for your listeners, if there's an area, an injury that continues to come up um, or you just continue to have things that do flare up, there's something missing, something that you're missing and addressing it now will make it better in the long run. And maybe that's nutritional. Maybe it's you're not getting enough fuel and calories and that's why you're getting injured it could be the way that you're running um, and you need to do some research on that or go see someone or it could be like it was in my case you're just trying to do too much and um, the body at some point says no so I hope that helps yes it does it does and we all uh, everyone who's listening would have gone through one or two nasty injuries in their mm-hmm. life and they would have said that okay this niggle is not, it's not going that's mm-hmm. the way our body says that you know we need rest yes that's the reason the niggle is still <laughs> persisting yes so i want to switch gears now uh, and i want to talk about um our love for running which mm-hmm. uh, uh, ends up transcending into some kind of social behaviors. And, uh, you know, from a human psychology and a group behavior perspective, running communities are very interesting. And personally, I feel that the community uh, that I am associated with uh, with has helped me um, uh, become a better person and become a better runner, right? So, yeah. Um, it's interesting to see the entire spectrum of runners coming together as a single sin, single entity just mm. for the love of running, right? So what are your thoughts of being part of a running community and how does it help uh, at large? Yeah, I absolutely love this question and I love the running community for that reason. Uh, In my past as an elite athlete, I did everything on my own or almost everything on my own. And it was very lonely and I missed out on so much. So now the running community being a part of something greater than myself is a huge part of why I do what I do. They're my favorite runs. They um, are when I get to do them with other people. I love being surrounded um, like just, you know, when being in New York a few weeks ago with the New York City Marathon, there's just an energy in the in the air that you can feel because all the runners are there excited for, for the same thing. Um, and I think being a part of a community such as a club is a place where you can really feel like you belong. You can surround yourself with other people who are also trying to squeeze runs in um, while ha- while they have their kids or while taking care of a family member you can also um, find other people who are similar paces to you and of course you're going to find people who are faster than you or slower than you but you can find people who you run well with and um, 
who help you to, you know, it makes the time pass during the runs. You can talk to struggles that you're working through, such as the things we've talked about today. Like, you know, my race didn't go great the other week and I'm still struggling to let it go. And your running partner can say, give you some really good perspective about what's going on in your life or you know what things were going on on that day of why it might not have come together and so I really feel community levels up are running in so many ways um, especially when you give back um, and uh, I I can't imagine not having that piece of my running now I really believe it's one of the best parts so um, yeah it helps in in endless ways Yes. And one of the ways I feel being engaged uh, with a new sport or for any activity, so to say, for a longer time is to start volunteering for a cause. Right. And uh, can you share your thoughts on volunteering and how do you see runners do it effectively? Yes, I think this is a good example of where we used to be trapped in this mindset of like, I need as we talked about the hustle, I need to be doing this for me. I want to be successful. I want to be the one standing on the mountaintop and everyone cheering my name. Um, and I was that person. But now I, now that I do volunteer, for me, what I like to do is running with uh, runners with disabilities, visually impaired athletes, friends who have Down syndrome. Um, I like to run alongside them and particularly the visually impaired athletes um, if if a runner is blind and they cannot go out and run by themselves, um, you going out there to go on a run with them is literally the difference between them going on a run or not. Um, but the thing is, even though it seems like it's one-sided and it seems like it would be something where I am the one giving my time or giving my energy to this other person when I could be giving it to myself – the what the the what you get back from that is absolutely unbelievable i my favorite runs and races over the course of my life many of them have been as being a guide for a visually impaired runner because i get so much back from it through being able to actually look around and enjoy and appreciate the race to getting to know that person um to getting to you know, see the world through someone else's eyes. Um, so that's one way of doing it. And then there's plenty of other ways to volunteer. Um, and I want to bring up at this point that it doesn't have to mean someone is a very experienced runner like myself, who's had, you know, 20 years of running to be able to offer something back. You could be a runner who is one, uh, you've been running one year and you have a friend or a family member who takes up running because of you. And volunteering in that situation could be you offering to run next to them and encourage them um, it could be you giving them advice on what food maybe they say they they thought they should be eating I don't know um, uh, lentils and um, and and beans and uh, fibrous fruit and vegetables uh, before they run because that's healthy food right and you say, yeah. well, actually, those foods are probably going to upset your stomach. So maybe you should try having something that's a bit more simple, um, that like a rice that's not going to upset your stomach. Um, maybe that's volunteering for you. And also, you know, when when opportunities arise to give back at races, you know the importance of that yourself. So getting to do it 
is a really rewarding feeling. So yes, I love any ways we can start giving back to the community. Sure. Yes. And I, I 100% resonate with your thoughts and ideas, right? Any, any, um, any sort of volunteer, small volunteering effort, small or big, is going to make a difference in the larger uh, scheme of things, mm-hmm. right? With, so, um, so Tina, you also touched on your book during in your book on the societal pressures women face, especially regarding body image and performance. Mm-hmm. So, what's your advice uh, for female runners to navigate and overcome through these societal expectations? Yeah, there is a lot out there, uh, particularly for women, as to the way that we should look uh, as women, but also as runners. Um, And it can be very stressful um, and it can really dig into your subconscious so that you don't even realize that you are doing it. And I spent many years thinking that I needed to look a certain way to run fast, when in reality, I was actually harming my speed because I was so focused on not eating enough because I wanted to I thought that was the way um, that I would uh, you know look better was eating less even though I had many side effects like um, I would be cold all the time and I would struggle to sleep and I lost my period and um, there was all these signs that my body wasn't happy and I But for me, I was driven by the way that I looked, what other people thought of me. Um, And and that, again, is very challenging, especially as we may be around conversations that are happening about uh, commenting on our own body types or on other body types. And so the first thing I would try to encourage us to do, which can be difficult at times, is to really try to refrain from talking about your body or someone else's body in and for any reason and if you find yourself doing it and you're mid-sentence I mean stop and say oh I'm trying I'm trying to not do this because the more we continue to normalize these conversations and have these conversations uh the more they're going to continue and particularly with you know the the generation coming in behind us the children if they hear us talking about our bodies whether it's good or bad they are going to learn that that is what matters that that is what important is important um and I think honestly I think a lot of accepting your body for the way it is just is going to come with time and maturity um that you know it takes us different uh different ages to reach before we get to that sure and I I I, again completely completely resonate because I'm guilty of it right an extra uh extra few few grams here and there mm. um it it affects me right my running gets affected my my sleep gets affected and so tina i also want to talk about running footprints and sustainability right and uh, now we i want to talk about you know the constant growing consumerism mm. and consumption which is a very big issue and uh, be it apparels right or shoes or gels and uh, as runners we we are guilty of all of the three that i spoke about or even during when we travel for races or or training uh, we are constantly adding to the carbon footprints, to the climate change, right? Knowingly, mm-hmm. unknowingly. What are your thoughts on how we as runners can make it more sustainable and be more responsible for it? 
Yeah, uh, I think once again, the first thing to recognize is that none of us are going to be perfect at this. None of us are going to get this right all the time. Even someone like myself, who is extremely passionate about this, is still, I, I still live in the same world we all do, which does not make it easy for us. Uh, and a lot of that comes from the top. We might not have a choice as to what, how we buy something. We don't, when we buy a pair of shoes, we don't say, can I have a pair of shoes with that box um, in that bag, please? Um, you, you just are given items or some foods that you buy might come in items. The the gels or nutritional uh, foods that you mentioned um, come in packaging that we don't have a choice, you know, what they come in. Um, same with with traveling to races. If um, if there was an alternative of, of how I could get back to my family in England, um, where I didn't have to take a plane or I could take a plane that was not pushing out, um, you know, carbon emit, uh, carbon emitting fuels, then, then maybe I wouldn't, I will, well, I know I wouldn't take it if there was an alternative, but the reality is there isn't. I think the biggest thing we can do is, and uh, as you mentioned in the book, we do come up with a lot of different ways that people can make choices within their own life without expecting perfection. Um, but I think some of the biggest things runners can do is, you know, we, we have to wear running shoes or most of us wear running shoes. And so accepting that that is one of the things that as a runner, you're just going to need, but you can get the most out of your shoes. And when you are finished with your shoes, making sure that you pass them on to either someone who feels like that pair of shoes has plenty of life left to give, or you find a way to, pass it on um, to uh, a place that can dispose of it responsibly to recycle or shred that pair of shoes to make it something else because ultimately everything is going to end up in the landfill um, but we just want to make that process last as long as we can and whenever you do have choice um, and you can purchase something that is you know, made of um, wood or made of glass rather than purchasing from plastic and you have that ability to make that choice, make that choice um, if you are able to. Um, but I think the biggest thing that we need to do as runners and as people is to speak up, um, use our voice to say why talking about this matters. Um, because as I said, we can't make these changes until the global corporations, until our governments, until the people in charge give us the ability to make those changes. And that is where, as individuals, our impacts, our individual impacts don't make hardly any difference um, emissions-wise. But when we come together, just like an ocean is made up of droplets, when we come together and say, this is not good enough, that is when how change happens and we can then make the right choice. I, I totally get it. And I remember reading and I even saw um, on on the social media that the recent FIFA World Cup, uh, the Japanese spectators cleaned the stand after the mm. match. And it was such a pleasant surprise to mm -hmm. watch and learn. Uh, and we also see that the uh, environmental footprints in large marathon events, right? And how... Uh, you know, like say New York, uh, you've been mm -hmm. there recently uh, or or 
a lot of other other marathons are coming up it's a marathon season so how can we eliminate excessive consumption during races right like single use plastic or consumption during expos post race if you have your thoughts over it yeah uh, races i would say especially these big ones are you know the the place that we really get to come face to face with our consumption because we as we run along the course and particularly during aid stations when you see the the river of cups along the course um that's really i think you know it's it's very easy in our day-to-day -day life to forget how we are as human beings constantly consuming and using and damaging the planet but when you're in a race particularly a race like in New York where there's 50,000 people and you're seeing it, it really is quite jarring. Um, races, the big races at least that I've come to work with myself are doing the work. They're putting in a lot of effort to make change. Um, but once again, it has to be asked for or in sometimes demanded. Um, if runners are not asking for um you know, sustainable options, if runners are continuing to buy and take and use, and let's say a race offers a no thank you, I don't want a t-shirt option, and people continue to take the shirts and, you know, only five people in a race of 50,000 say no thank you, I don't want a shirt, of course the race is going to keep offering the shirt. So we need to be able to use our voice and where they are making changes to say, I appreciate those changes you're making. I want more of this. Um, and how can you ask your local races to make changes? So that might be asking them. Um, and it's obviously going to depend on where you are and what your races are like. But what changes do you have you noticed could be made and even as simple as asking the race director or saying, um, you know, when are you going to implement, you know, this initiative, such as maybe using cups that are compostable or saying to people, you should be bringing your own fuel. When are you going to make these changes? Because until we start asking, they are not going to be to make the changes on their own because they don't think anyone wants these changes. And that's where I hope people like myself who are drawing attention to these things will continue to push runners to speak up in their own local races. Um, and then when it comes to the excessive consumption, we very much get into the mindset of like free stuff, free stuff when we're at the expo and remembering mm. that you don't, you know, that one bite of a bar or that one sip of a drink, do you really need and want that? Is that actually going to taste, you know, good for something enjoyable? Or are you just taking it because of the fact that it's there? And once again, if you continue to take and use, these companies will say, well, we offered it and everyone took it. So we're going to come back again. Um, and so I'm trying to make changes with what I'm doing by working with these events, but they can only really happen if runners buy in and uh, do their part in saying no thank you, in um, recognizing that there's more to our life than just buying, consuming, um, and that our, every voice matters, um, even if it, it feels at the time like it does not. Yeah.
So Tina, I have one last question for you. And that is, um, you know, Indian running community is growing really fast. Mm -hmm. And uh, we are already seeing 50,000 plus runners and every major city has clubs now. So what's your advice for runners in India? What uh, uh, to offer based on the principles of your book? Well, first, I want to say that's very exciting. And I love hearing that. Um, I you know, have done quite a few podcasts and conversations with runners in India over the years. And I've really loved the passion and the curiosity. Um, there's definitely a lot of people who just want to learn. And I love that. I think curiosity is one of the things that are most important in our world. And, and that is where, you know, a lot of the challenges that I've spoken to in this conversation today will become addressed because people who are, who are curious and want to learn um, each have their own individual contribution to a lot of the challenges that we are facing. And maybe one of your runners can be the person who helps to figure out, um, you know, something that we're struggling with. Um, and so I think the, the thing, the advice I would offer to, to runners is just that, um, as we've been talking about, it's very easy to look to other runners, particularly maybe in countries like the US where it feels like um, they are, you know, whereas you you said 50,000 plus runners, maybe it's, I don't know, um, 5 million runners, maybe more, I have absolutely no idea, um, probably is more than that. But, you know, and thinking, oh, they have it right. But remember that a lot of the time, um, particularly in America, uh, things get overcomplicated and too much is put on consumerism and we figured out the one right way to do things when in fact most of the time as I mentioned it is about trusting yourself trusting your body and even if Americans seem to be using all these gadgets and these numbers and data a lot of the time that overcomplicates things and takes all the joy out of it so I would say to to keep it simple on you and your experience and try not to let the experience of others cloud what feels right to you. All right. Thank you so much, Tina, for coming on today's episode and sharing your thoughts. And I wish you all the best for the coming season and your book. Yes, thank you so much. I appreciate that. And um, yeah, people can find it. Uh, I'm assuming Amazon's probably going to be the easiest place, um, but they can find it online. There's also um, an ebook and an audiobook if people want that too. So thank you so much. I would like to thank all our listeners. And if you like this episode and would like to know more on the world of running, please subscribe to our channel. And if you know of someone who is starting their journey into fitness and running, do share a podcast link with them. I would like to thank my friend Arvind for editing, sound recording and taking care of the post-production for this podcast. If you have any suggestions on improving the content of the show or topics you would like us to cover, please share it by emailing us at connect at geeksonfeet.com or you can also reach us through Twitter, Facebook or Instagram. <laughs>